you see a little girl in the picture? <laughs> Recognize that little girl. I want to say a huge um, thank you to my church family. Between the three churches that, that came together, the generosity was just overwhelming. Um, not only were we able to purchase everything that I will need to teach my students um, for the year, we were also able to purchase rain gear to be able to go from class to class in the 150-acre rainforest campus, and the additional funds that are coming in. We've gotten a list from other teachers at the school, and although our suitcases are full, um, once we get there, we have planned transportation to the city um, to get Play-Doh and, and uh, book bags and other things that are needed for the other classrooms, and we'll be bringing them to the other classes too. So these three churches not only sponsored my class, but sponsored an entire school. So thank you. Thank you. Um, in this pile here of stuff that were collected were dozens of packs of crayons, colored pencils, pens, highlighters, 190 dry erase markers, and over 1,000 pencils. You can clap for that. You should be proud of yourself. I also, I wanted to um, give back before I left. And the, the only way I knew that I could do that was other than, you know, anime yanking my arm to do special music a couple times this summer, <laughs> was to preach for a Sunday. Um, we often don't think about how hard it is to be a pastor of a three-church charge and how hard it is for them to find um, people to preach. And so um, I just ask the Spirit to lead me as I do this. But I'm doing it because I, I recognize the hard work that, that goes into being a pastor. And I just ask that if you feel called by the Spirit at some point to lead in some way in this church, that you do that. That you do that. Okay? Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, Thank you for this opportunity to gather together. Thank you. Thank you for these people who have, have changed my lives in immeasurable ways. For my friends that I've developed here, for the choir. Thank you for Pastor Gary. Lord, I just... I just ask that your spirit be present as I speak. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I titled this slide, Are You a Pharisee? We are studying the gospel of, of Luke. And we are up to verse 33 in the 11th chapter of Luke. So if you want to open your Bible or your Bible app, we are in Luke 11, verse, starting with verse 33. And I like to read the gospel, and I like to read it straight through. So you get to hear me read the gospel, okay? Oh, where are we? 
Here we go. 33. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they're unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So Jesus went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of your cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that's been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you. This generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you've hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him to questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. The word of God for the people of God. We tend to draw conservative, buttoned-down, moralistic people to our church. If you look around the room now, go ahead, look around. Say hi. 
I don't think you're going to find too many people that don't fit in that category. A category that could have been used to describe the Pharisees in Jesus' time. There were many religious groups during the time of Jesus, but there were six main ones. They were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Zealots, the Sicarii, and the Essenes. Five of them are mentioned in the New Testament. The Pharisees were the, were the most well-known group at the time of Jesus, and they were also the largest group. Around 6,000 people were considered Pharisees. They were not priests or temple officials. <clears throat> For the most part, they were common Jews who were middle-class businessmen, merchants, and traders who sought to apply the Jewish law to their everyday life <clears throat> in order to live a life of holiness. That's actually to be admired and commended. So they were often looked to as experts in the law. They had influence <clears throat> in that they studied and interpreted the law, and they had influence over the people because they believed in active religion. They believed in angels and demons and in the coming of Christ. <clears throat> Pharisee is thought to mean separated one. And they were often looked at <clears throat> that way because they lived a life separate from the secular people of the time, the non-religious and the less religious people. When Greek and Roman influence was coming in, they tried hard to stick to the laws of Moses. <clears throat> All things considered, they were righteous and holy men of Jesus' time. And I think that if you were to describe active Christians today, we wouldn't be moralistic, business people who try to keep the teaching of the Bible and avoid the influence of modern culture. Many people confuse the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, the Sadducees were known for their status or their standing. They weren't priests either, but they were very connected. They came from noble families who today we would call old money. Can you think of someone who has who is old money and has a lot of political influence? Those were the Sadducees. Okay? Because they held a great deal of political sway, they had the ear of whoever was in power. And they were greatly influenced by Roman and Greek culture. They were rich, powerful, but they didn't believe in active religion. They only believed in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They did not believe in active angels or demons or the coming of Christ. So they were only somewhat religious. So although the Pharisees, 
and the Sadducees came together to crucify Christ, generally they grouped didn't like each other. So back to the Pharisees from our scripture today. The problem with the Pharisees, who Jesus is talking to, is that in addition to the Torah or the written laws in the Old Testament, they also looked to oral tradition and developed their own rules that were added to the written law and strictly enforced them. And they were critical of those who didn't practice them. In verse 42 of today's scripture, it says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Here, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees' version of tithing. They took tithing to the nth degree, to the point that they were tithing 10% of their spice rack. This wasn't written in the Bible. A tithe was a requirement of the law in which the Israelites were to give 10% of the crops they grew in their livestock, and that's from Leviticus 27, 30. But instead of seeing the purpose of the tithe, the Pharisees followed very difficult rules. You see, they were hyper-focused on the oral tradition, interpretations passed down by word of mouth, such as this tithing ritual, such as washing ritualistically a certain way, praying a certain way in public, and they lost sight of the bigger picture, to love. In verse 42... Look what Jesus says. You neglect justice and the love of God. Do you do this? Do we as a church do this? Are there parts of our oral law that are neither biblically sound nor about loving God? You ever heard this saying? Well, okay. There we go. Heaven gained another angel. Yet nowhere in the Bible does it say that our souls turn into angels. About this one. God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm pretty sure Job had more than he could handle and had to trust God to get him through it. That is not helpful. God gives special needs children to special parents. I've heard this so many times over the years, and yet it is not biblically sound. Okay, it's trouble. What about this one? God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard that one? 
I'm pretty sure that God sent Jesus and that we are saved by grace, not by helping ourselves. There are lots of oral traditions that are not biblically sound. There are also ways that we nitpick as Christians. For example, how would you feel if right now, mid-sermon, a woman walks in the door, half her hair is purple, half of it's shaved, she's covered in tattoos, and wearing only a bikini? Are you going to welcome her in, or are you going to stare her down? Yet, our oral tradition tells us that we show up to church on time wearing nice clothes. Waiting for where I find in the Bible, thou shalt not wear a bathing suit to church. <laughs> or dirty jeans. My grandmother was a pious, God-fearing woman who served in the United Methodist Church. I loved her dearly, and I come from a line of many, many, many generations of women who served in the United Methodist Church. When I was married the first time, my husband, who was in his early 20s at the time, was losing his hair. He was very self-conscious about that and wore a hat everywhere. When we went to her house, she insisted that he take his hat off. It was such a big deal, him not wanting to take off his baseball cap because he was self-conscious and her feeling like he was being disrespectful, that it caused a wedge between their relationship that was irreparable. On Easter Sunday one year, my grandmother put on a nice dress and a fancy Easter bonnet, and she wore it to church. And after church, I asked her, I said, why are you allowed to wear a hat in the house of the Lord, but my husband can't wear a hat in the She said it wasn't the same thing and that the Bible says that women are allowed to wear hats, but men can't cover their heads. I think she was probably referring to this verse in 1 Corinthians 11, 4-5. Every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, it's the same as having her head shaved. Did you know that was in the New Testament? <clears throat> um, I had to search for it. Here's my point. My grandmother was so worried about a specific verse that she forgot the meaning of the law. Let's go back the same verse, but we're going to go back one verse to 1 Corinthians 11, 3. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. 
and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is Christ. So it wasn't even about something covering your head. It was about being in charge, right? God Romans 13, 9 says it so nicely. Whatever whatever other command there may be can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can you say that with me? Love your neighbor as yourself. Every other command. You see, the Pharisees weren't wrong for these washing rituals. They were wrong for judging others, including Jesus himself, for not doing so. They weren't wrong for tithing down to the spice rack to be commended. But they were wrong for requiring others to do so. My grandmother wasn't wrong for wearing an Easter bonnet. She was wrong for not welcoming someone into her home. By following laws down to the minute details, the Pharisees lost sight of the bigger picture. The Son of God was right in front of them. Jesus was sitting right Would you recognize Jesus if he didn't follow your oral traditions? Would you recognize him if he wasn't a part of your denomination? What if he looked or acted different than you expected? I love, my favorite part of the reading today is the part of the verse that says Jesus reclined as he sat with the Pharisees when he was criticizing them for not washing. Here it says, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined. It doesn't say that Jesus stood up over the Pharisees and raised his voice and pointed his finger at them. No, he had a conversation with them. He was sitting at a table reclined. Later in the scriptures, the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus doing something wrong. And what they, you all know the story, that Later on, they're trying to catch him because he's healing on the Sabbath, right? He's performing things on the Sabbath. And this, the Sabbath was one of those things that the Pharisees were nitpicky about. In Exodus, it tells us, Somewhere in the middle. 
All right, I'm not going to worry about it. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shouldn't do work, neither you nor your son or daughter, male or female, servant, animal, or any foreigner. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Does it say in the Bible, thou shall not heal on the Sabbath? Does it say, thou shall not carry a blanket on the Sabbath? Thank you. <laughs> I know you're with me. It's hard to stand up here for 30 minutes and wonder if people are listening to you. Does it say, thou shall not carry water? doesn't. Yet these are the things that the Pharisees insisted were part of the law of Moses. These very specific guidelines that made it more work to not work on the Sabbath. And took away the meaning of what the Sabbath was. It wasn't intended as a day of impossible rules. It was intended to be a day of holiness and rest. My family and I go to South Seaville camp meeting every year. In fact, that's where we're going in a few days before we go to Costa Rica. How many of you have gone to a camp meeting before? Really? You guys have never been? There's not many around left. Um, <clears throat> camp meeting is for two weeks in July, um, at the end of July. And, but there are cottages there, and people come and go other times of the year. Um, but at camp, there are strict rules about Sabbath work. One of the first years that Jamie and I uh, were married, we went up there when it wasn't camp meeting, and the campground was pretty deserted. Um, we needed to wash our clothes, and we didn't think anything about it being a Sunday afternoon. So we went over, put the coins in, and started a load of wash. When Jamie went to move the clothes to the dryer, um, someone, an older woman, came over and chastised him and said, you cannot wash clothes on the Sabbath. And at that point, we didn't have a line to dry the clothes on. And so he apologized profusely and put the coins in and started the dryer. And when he went back, 45 minutes later, his clothes were still wet because someone had come behind him and opened the door to the dryer to assure that the dryer was not running on the Sabbath. Luckily, we considered it an accident and we took our wet clothes with us and still came back to the cottage the next year. But how many people would have considered that Pharisee-like behavior? and would have considered it so awful that they never would have come back to that Christian camp or even to the Christian faith. I know I am not above Pharisee behavior. And I act like that more often than I'd care to admit. 
It has always been important to me that my family dress conservatively. You guys have known me for years, so you probably know that. I have felt since I was young that my body is a temple and that neither me nor my children need to have flesh hanging out with very short shorts or overly tight or revealing clothing. I pride myself on raising my children the right way. A couple of months ago, my daughter Mia and I went to Costa Rica to the town where I had just accepted a teaching position. She came from her father's house. And the next morning, after we, arose, we arrived, she put on a crop top and short shorts to wear to the school. And I took one look at her <laughs> and said, you are not wearing that. Well, I don't have anything else to wear. I ruffled through her suitcase and found a different outfit and held it up. What's this, I said, worried about the first impression I would make on this school. Fine, I'll wear that, she popped into the back room. But I won't have enough clothes to wear for a week, so I'm going to have to wear the crop top sometime. I could feel anger boiling inside me. How many of you had 12-year-old girls at one point, <laughs> right? <laughs> Remember that? Then I will take you down to the souvenir shop, I said, and buy you a shirt from Costa Rica because my daughter is not going to have her stomach hanging out. Now, some of you are probably nodding and agree with me that it was the right thing as a parent to make her change her clothes. But what you don't realize is she's 12, she has her own opinions of how she should dress, and I did not handle that in a loving way. I acted like a Pharisee. This is my expectation. Take it off. And what happened was it ruined the bond that I was hoping to make on the trip to Costa Rica. It affected our ability to have a good time during our weekly vacation. How many times have you used one verse theology to influence what's right and what's wrong? Is it our job to stop others from experiencing the love of Jesus Christ by hyper-focusing on one aspect of the Bible. How many of us, like Pharisees, are make sure we clean the outside of our cup and dish, but inside we're full of greed and wickedness? The spirit of tithing is to give joyfully. The spirit of the Sabbath 
to, to rest and, and honor God, the spirit of the Bible is to love one another and love and honor God. As long as we are a people who fight interdenominationally and don't clean our own souls, we, we will continue to be Pharisees. for you. How do you clean your soul? Jesus answers this question in, in verse 41 of our scripture today. He says to the Pharisees, be generous to the poor and everything. you with three things that you can do to not be a Pharisee. Number one, don't fall for false prophets who insist on laws that aren't written in the Bible and that are based on one verse. and study the context of each book of the Bible historically. And number three, most important of all, follow the lead of Jesus. To love, love Jesus. Love Jesus. I leave you with this. Man was dying. He started to cry, worried that he hadn't done enough, not only by accepting Jesus as his Lord and Savior, but was worried he wouldn't go to heaven because he hadn't followed every oral and written tradition. When he got to heaven, he met Jesus. 